Welcome to Unyielding, a podcast for Pathways to Hope Network that strives to provide connection for mothers with children in the juvenile justice system while giving a voice to the struggles we face. Hi ladies, this is Angie, and our first series of this podcast is called Into the Unknown. It's where we'll be breaking down all of the things that you can expect while walking beside your child through the juvenile justice system. In episode one today, we're going to take a closer look at what to expect in the court system. We also have a great resource for you at the end of the show, so be sure to listen all the way through. All right, so for parents who've never experienced the juvenile justice system, there is an incredible amount of fear and uncertainty that they're facing. So while dealing with their own emotions of disappointment, anger, or heartbreak, they also are expected to be able to navigate through this whole new world that they've never experienced. I mean, nobody prepares you for this situation, right? There's certainly not a book that's given out to you when you take your newborn home. It's not a topic that ever comes up with your pediatrician or at a parent-teacher conference. No, instead, this is a situation that just kind of blindsides you on some random afternoon. When my child went through the system, I had no idea what was up ahead. I spent my days on my back deck, in my yard, on my front porch, in my car, with my mind just swimming in possible outcomes. All of them, worst case scenario, of course. I Googled, but I wasn't even sure what to Google. And while you might normally go to one of your friends and ask them for advice on, you know, potty training or tantrums or how to get your child to do their homework, this isn't exactly the same. I mean, I felt alone, really, really alone alone. And I had shame around even talking to anybody about it. And so it just felt like something that I had to sit with by myself. So I have two goals for the time that I spend with you today. The first is to make sure that you know, really know, like really, really know that you are not alone. And the second is to front load you with some basic information about the courts so that you can feel a little more empowered if you decide to attend your child's court hearings. And I say, if you decide to attend your child's court hearings, and for some of you, you hear if, like if there's like there's a possibility that I wouldn't go, well, yeah. There's a possibility that you wouldn't go. And I'm not saying that that's the right thing for you to do or the wrong thing for you to do, but I am saying that for some parents, if they choose to allow this to be their child's mess and they choose not to go, well, then that's not necessarily a wrong decision either. Through this journey, you're going to have to figure out what works for you. There isn't a right way. And I think I spent so much time trying to figure out how to get it right, right? Like I spent so much time 
worrying about and obsessing over if I was doing the right thing, if I was saying the right thing, if I was backing up where I needed to back up and showing up where I needed to show up and, and, you know, do you hire an attorney? Do you not hire an attorney? And what's the right thing? And, and trying to get through this thing without any regrets. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You're not going to get through this thing, getting it all right. You're just not. So we take this on day by day and sometimes minute by minute. And we try and figure out just how to do the next right thing because that's all you can do, mama. That's all you can do right now. Okay, so the first thing I want to say is this is hard. And anything you are feeling right now is okay to feel. There are a lot of unknowns. The hard to accept reality is that someone else is responsible for determining consequences for your child. For the first time, well, maybe aside from school and, uh, you know, if anybody, a teacher ever had to intervene, but really for the first time in their lives, there's somebody else that's making decisions on the consequences that your child's going to face. That lack of control over what that's going to look like and how it's going to impact your child, their future, your family, that's a brutal feeling. In 2018, there were 696,620 juvenile arrests in the U.S., 696,000 juvenile arrests in the year 2018. That number's actually gone down significantly from years past, but that's still a lot of juvenile arrests. And my bet is that a good percentage of those kids had amazing moms. Now listen, I know that this is not a popular thought in our society, Our society looks at a child that's struggling and they automatically make up their mind that the parent fell short somehow. You know, they just uh, didn't know what they were doing or they made some mistakes along the way. And I'm calling BS on that. I don't think that that's true. I think that a good portion of the 696,000 juveniles that were arrested in 2018 had moms who read parenting books when their kids were little. I'm willing to put some money down on the fact that they had moms who did their best to raise their kids with manners, with curfews, and with bedtime stories. Moms who navigated through tough and awkward conversations nobody wants to have with their kid about sex and drugs because they wanted to make sure that their child was in the know. Moms who said, I love you on a regular basis and made them eat their vegetables. And those same moms are out there right now feeling like the bottom of their world just fell out. So no, mama. You're not alone in this. And I know you're worried. I know that there's a high likelihood that you are tirelessly turning around every detail in your mind over and over again, trying to make sense of how you got here. We may have never met. 
but our hearts share an experience. And this community, this is my dream, this community is here to hold you up. It's here to walk beside you. It's here to encourage you, to empower you, and believe the best for you until you can do that for yourself again. All right, so one thing you're going to learn pretty quickly about me is that I get emotional whenever I talk about this subject. So you will hear me get choked up a lot in podcasts, and that's okay because um, because this is really hard, and we need each other to, to say it's hard. We need that in our community. We need to be able to speak our pain and to talk about our grief. All right, but um, I'm going to move on to (laughs) a more serious subject now and gather myself together. Let me get a sip of coffee. (sighs) Okay, sometimes it just takes a sip of coffee. That's all I'm saying, ladies. Sometimes a sip of coffee is all it takes and it does the trick. All right, so now that we've established um, the fact that you're not alone, Let's go ahead and get you some information, all right, that's going to help prepare you for what lies ahead. All right, so I wanted to start off by kind of just giving a basic rundown of the juvenile court process. Like I said, this is going to be really basic information. There are a lot of ins and outs. And so if after listening to this, you have a question that I didn't cover, feel free to email me. Um, And you can email at closedgroup.pathways at gmail.com. That's closedgroup.pathways at gmail.com. And I'll do my best to, you know, do research and try and figure out if I don't know. There is somebody out there that does know, but we'll get you the answers that you need, all right? Okay, so um, this is real life. I hear my phone like, Dinging because I didn't remember to turn off um, my notifications in the background. So I apologize for that in there if you can hear it. All right. So we live in Washington state. And so I'm going to tailor this process towards what happens here. My guess is that most of it will be the same in other states. However, there may be some minor differences, so it might be good to follow up this podcast with a Google search, and you could use um, keywords like juvenile court process in, and then whatever the name of your state is. So I'm going to begin by talking about just the beginning of the court process. So this is for parents who you know are just, for the first time, dealing with this situation and they have no idea what to expect. So let's begin with what happens after a youth is arrested. Now, I always struggle a little bit on like, do I say youth or do I say kid or do I say child? I I always want to say child because I feel like child is what they are to us, you know? And while the system and the schools may not necessarily see teenagers as a child it's more identified with you know the younger elementary school age kids they're still our child so you're going to hear me say youth and you're going to hear me say child and um, I'll be all over the place but just so you know that's why all right so um, in our state after an arrest is made the police normally turn the case over to the prosecutor's office 
Each state has a prosecutor's office, and prosecutors are divided up into teams covering different areas of law, okay? So the team that handles juvenile matters will decide if charges should be filed based on, you know, the report that they receive from the police, and if so, what kind of offense they're going to try and seek a conviction for. Here in Washington, uh, prosecutors can decide to keep a child out of juvenile court by diverting the matter to a community board. This process is known as diversion. So prosecutors normally allow cases to go to diversion when the allegations um, against the child are a little less serious and the youth doesn't have a juvenile record. There's definitely... um, laws in place that give guidance on this. So um, I'll include a link in the show notes that talks a little bit more about diversion and what that process looks like if you're interested in learning more about it. Okay, so let's shift gears now to detention. Um, It's a little less common these days for kids to be booked into detention following an arrest. Um, It doesn't happen as much anymore as it used to happen, at least not here in Washington. Um, but it does still happen. So if a child is taken to detention after an arrest, they must be given a detention hearing before the end of the following day. So this, this would be like the first hearing that they have. So they're in detention and, um, the law requires that they be given a detention hearing before the end of the day. And what that is, is it's when the, um, the matter goes before a judge who determines if the youth is going to be released to a parent or if they're going to be held in custody. Um, and they usually look at things like the seriousness of the charges, the criminal history of the child, um, and whether or not they believe that the youth is um, a safety threat to the community. All right, so the next hearing we're going to talk about is an arraignment. So if charges are filed, then your child will be mailed a summons. So it could be that, you know, your child was maybe arrested and they were released and you're just in limbo and you don't know what's going to happen. Well, if the prosecutor decides to file charges, then that's when your child would be mailed a summons or what's also known as a notice to appear at the arraignment hearing. Um, The arraignment is usually the first hearing that happens unless a child is taken into detention. All juveniles are covered under the Sixth Amendment, which means they will have access to an attorney. The court provides public defenders to represent juveniles the same way it does adults, okay? Um, However, I'm going to be honest here. Public defenders do exactly what their title says. They defend the public. And there are a lot of people in the public and usually not enough of them. So this means that the time that you get with them will not be the same as um, it would if you decided to hire your own attorney. All right, so let me just be clear. I don't say this in order to sway you to hire an attorney. Um, I, I don't have a professional opinion on the matter. Um, I think that you just need to do whatever you feel is right in your heart in that situation. Um, I know many kids who went through public defenders and, um, I don't know that the outcome would have been any different in those situations had they hired an attorney. I mean, there's no way to really tell. Um, 
what is the better option there, but um, I think that you should know what you can reasonably expect on the day of the hearing. And I just want to make sure that you're, you know, you're prepared with as many facts as possible. So most of the public defenders that I have come in contact with, unfortunately, they rarely have the time to meet with families prior to an arraignment hearing. They might be able to reach out by phone call. Um, And if you do get a phone call beforehand, you're, you're one of the fortunate ones, I think, um, and like I said, I'm I'm only speaking directly for what I know, and perhaps it's not that way everywhere across the board, but I think it's like with any other, you know, assistance that you receive when it comes to government, like there's usually, you know, some weight involved with that. So if you do get a phone call beforehand, I just think it would be nice if you passed along a few words of appreciation to them. If you think about it, they 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 do the best that they can with the caseloads they have, and um, we really all are in this struggle together. So try to avoid, you know, projecting anger or fear or any other feelings that you might feel on as frustration towards your attorney. It's just not, it's not helpful to the situation, you know, that you're in. So, all right. So I digress. Let's see. So, um, it could be that you end up meeting with the attorney just prior to the hearing. And I know that we could really use some improvements in this area. Things are changing and those changes are coming. I know it's tough enough the days leading up to a hearing, not knowing what to expect. And by the time you get there, you can feel like a full-blown basket case because you're just like about to burst from like the intensity of it and um, the anxiety that's built up over, you know, what's going to happen. So that's why we're here is to kind of help bridge that gap for you and get you some information so that you're not walking into the situation just completely completely at the mercy of somebody else. All right. So let's talk about what the hearing will be like so you're a little bit more prepared just in case that does happen. All right. So like I said, um, the arraignment hearing is usually the first hearing. Um, in the courtroom, there's going to be a judge present. There's going to be one or more defense attorneys present. There'll at least be one prosecutor. You may also see probation counselors, likely an intake probation counselor and or other probation counselors. They're also known as probation officers in some areas. There's a court clerk that's going to be there who takes a record of what happens in court. And then there might be like a juvenile detention officer that escorts kids who are detained to and from the courtroom. There will also be other kids and families who are there who are scheduled for the same hearing as um, hearing time as you are. There's no way to predict exactly how long you will be there. And so I just kind of wanted to make sure that I emphasized this. If you do have to take time off of work or if you have to find childcare, it's best to give yourself a couple of hours just in case it runs long. I have been at hearings that, you know, run over two hours. And so it's a possibility that that might happen. You don't know where your name is going to come up in the docket as they're calling cases up. So Just be prepared. And I think a little side note also is if you can even tack on an extra hour to that so that you have time afterwards to sit with your kiddo if you do decide to go and be able to process through a little bit about 
how you felt being there and how they felt being there. And, you know, some kids are going to be resistant to want to have conversations like that with their parents. Um, They may be struggling with shame that maybe looks like defiance or anger or irritation just because whatever they're showing on the outside doesn't mean it's a reflection on the inside and it might be helpful to be in the practice of having those conversations because as hard as that moment is it's also something that's going to be very impactful in in your child's memory. And here's the thing, like the way that trauma works in our lives is that our brains, you know, they really, they hold on to these moments of high intensity. If you think back to times that you were really scared in your life or really angry or really upset or really sad, you usually can remember them. I mean, the the big moments you can remember. And so this memory will be stored. And while I, you know, talked earlier about don't let this be something that, you know, you overthink to death or try to find the right way to handle, there is, there is power in the moments that happen before the hearing and after the hearing. And so those are good times to either sit with yourself, you know, if your child's not about it, and if it, just frustrates you more to be around them at that point and you feel like there can't be a healthy conversation that takes place, then just having time to sit with yourself maybe before or afterwards and give yourself some space to kind of process through what you're feeling and, you know, say say what you're afraid of out loud, you know, even if it's just talking to yourself or journaling or something like that. All right, so... Okay, so let's talk real quick about childcare also. So you're going to be having, obviously, a lot of emotions. And so if you do have younger children and you have anyone that you can leave them with for a couple of hours, Mama, I would recommend that you do that. It is okay to ask others for help. They don't have to know where you're going. You don't know them any explanations. Just say you got a thing you have to do. If you don't have anyone and you have to take your kids, well, you have to take your kids. I mean, we're moms and we're used to pulling through when it's required, right? I mean, we don't, no days off here. But I would just kind of make sure to bring something quiet for them to do that'll occupy them and keep them busy. Maybe some snacks that you can give them out in the hallway just in case it does end up running long. The last thing you want is any additional stress on you. This like I said, is trauma. And this is real trauma to a mom who has never, you know, expected that something like this was going to happen. And even if you did have an inkling that, you know, this is the road that your child was headed down, it doesn't make it any easier. So try and do everything you can to lighten that load for yourself. So at the hearing, the judge is presented paperwork showing the charges the prosecutor is filing. Now, depending on the court, the prosecutor may or may not read those charges out loud in the courtroom. And I say this to prep you for it because sometimes, depending on what the charges were, that can be really heavy to have to hear out loud in a courtroom full of people. 
In our county, they usually don't. The defense attorney will usually decline formal reading of the charges, and they usually don't read it out loud. But that's something that you could probably ask the defense attorney about ahead of time if you're worried about that. They would probably know if your local court usually reads the charges out loud or not. All right, so if it is read out loud, I know that's going to be tough. And you may choose to sit in the hallway and not be there for that. You may choose to offer support from a distance. And if that's where you are, there is nothing wrong with that. That's an okay place to be. If you decide that you're going to stay, I know that it's going to be tough. But here's the thing. Everyone who is in there has these same wounds that you have. Not all, but most of the moms that are there are experiencing the same feelings of shame and sadness and grief and anger and frustration that you are. So remind yourself to take a deep breath, ground yourself in knowing that you have endured many a hardship and have come out stronger, and this situation is no different. Hold your head up high, sister, and your shoulders back, and know that we all sit beside you on that bench in solidarity. So the defense attorney is going to make um, an initial plea, and usually the initial plea is not guilty. So it'll go before the judge, and the judge will ask, how do you plead? And the defense attorney will almost always do an initial plea of not guilty. Even if your child committed the crime, there is still usually a plea of not guilty entered. And this gives the attorney time to get copies of all the records, to talk to your child, to meet with them and any other witnesses, and just get a clear picture of what really happened. So after the plea is entered, they'll quickly set what are called terms and conditions of release. And these are basically just rules that the court sets that your child has to follow until the matter is settled. They give them a piece of paper that has all the rules there. So it's a good thing to look over with your child because it would be easy just to, you know, kind of toss that paper aside and not think anything about it. The rules are usually standard rules that include, you know, they include things like you got to go to school, you can't break any of the house rules, you can't break any laws, obviously, you can't hang out with anyone who has pending charges or is on probation. And then if there's a victim in the crime, then it may also include not having any contact with that victim as well. Before the judge sets those, they may ask, is there a parent in the courtroom? Now that can really throw you off if you aren't expecting it. At this point, they're not asking what you think about the charges or how you feel. When they ask, is there a parent in the courtroom, they just want to talk to you real quick and get some information about what rules they should set for that period of time between now and when the case is over. So when they ask if there's a parent in the courtroom, all you would need to do is raise your hand or stand up. And then the judge might ask something like, you know, if there are any concerns that you have or is there anything you would like to add, which always sounds like very vague to me. Like, is there anything you would like to add? And you're just thinking like, 
I have a million things I would like to add. Like, where where would you like me to start? You know, because you have a deeper understanding of this whole situation and whatever has transpired. And what uh, he or she is asking is, is there anything we should know about that is a problem that should be included in these rules? And that, that's kind of what they're referencing. So if, for instance... You have a daughter and you know that she's been sneaking out and that's something that really worries you. You could choose to bring it up at that point in court and the judge may decide to address it with her and make sure that she understands that if she sneaks out, she'll be in violation of release conditions and she could be put in detention. So you could do that or you could just say, I have nothing to add and they'll set the standard conditions. It's just kind of whatever you feel is right in your heart at the moment. All right, and then before you leave the arraignment hearing, they're going to set a date for what's called a pretrial hearing. A pretrial hearing doesn't mean your child is going to trial. It's basically any hearing that precedes a trial. So it's a way of checking in where things are with the case, providing updates to the court, and ensuring that things are still moving towards resolution. There are normally several pretrial hearings before a resolution is reached. This can become a hardship for moms who have to find childcare or take time off work for every hearing. And so that's something that you're just going to want to consider. The distance that they set those hearings out vary. And so it's, it's hard to say how often they would be. But I would say, you know, if you, if you were to say around three weeks, it's probably around three weeks, it's probably around there somewhere, maybe, you know, more or less. Um, but they usually have uh, the kiddos come back for pretrial hearings quite a few times before the end of the resolution. Now, obviously, I can't tell you what the outcome of all of this will be. Some parents I support have been able to transition pretty quickly to a program like Diversion, which has its own waiting that's involved, and some have had to fight all the way through a trial. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We are at the beginning, Mama, of a long journey. But there are others who have gone before you, and there are more coming behind you, and we will get through this. Okay? We will get through this. You will come out of the other side of this one day. And when you look back, it won't sting quite as much. You'll learn a lot about yourself and your child in this process. You'll learn about the peace that only comes when we begin to release a little of our need to control the outcome in the lives of the people we love. You'll learn what it means to show up for someone when you want to run the other way. When you want to crawl in your bed and bury yourself under the covers and pretend that it is not happening and you decide to show up anyway. And you know what? They'll learn it too. You'll learn how strong you are. You'll examine your own judgments of others and you'll have compassion for hurting families in a way that no one else understands. You'll meet some strong people and they'll inspire you to push through and your own strength will inspire others to do the same. You'll stand up when you get knocked down and you'll claw and fight through it even when you're exhausted and it will never feel like winning. 
until one day you look back and you realize you won. Yeah, you realize you won. Maybe not because things turned out exactly as you hoped, but because you had to love your child through a journey that would have been a lot harder without you. And you showed up. And pardon my language, but that's pretty badass. The hardest thing you are both living and breathing today will one day be the most powerful part of your testimony. So next week, we're going to have another episode covering the court process because one episode was just uh, not long enough to be able to cover it. Um, But next week, we're going to talk about the difference between kind of misdemeanors and felony charges. We'll discuss plea deals. We'll talk about probation a little and what that looks like and um, your relationship with your probation counselor. And we'll um, also get into record sealing. So and then that should wrap us up for the court session. And we'll move on to the next topic in the series of the unknown. All right. So every podcast, um, I like to make sure that I leave you with some type of a resource and some type of a little kind of deeper dive into processing these experiences that you're having. So uh, this week's resource is actually our very own Pathways to Hope Network website. Um, the link is going to be in the show notes. And just be sure it's pathways to hope network.org. Um, a lot of people forget the network, and uh, you're not going to find us if you forget the network because, unbeknownst to me, when I founded this organization, there are a lot of Pathways to Hope out there. Probably not the best choice of names, but here we are. We have it. So it's pathways to hope network.org. Don't forget the network because that's the most important part of what we do. We're a network of moms who guide each other down this path towards hope. So on our website, uh, you can access tons of resources like a list of local and national resources that might be helpful. There's a page entirely devoted to frequently asked questions um, that could also be helpful in these beginning stages, as well as our blogs that cover a variety of topics. So when you visit the page, be sure to subscribe so that you're added to our monthly newsletter, which is designed to encourage and educate you throughout this process and beyond. Um, We're on this journey together, and we just want to make sure that we're giving you all the resources you need to do that. So when you subscribe, you also receive access to our closed Facebook group community, where we will break down this podcast even deeper. Our closed group is a group that understands what it's like to have a child that's going through the juvenile justice system. So take advantage of this opportunity to be part of a safe space where families can come together to talk about their struggles, to help answer questions, and provide judgment-free encouragement. You can also find us on our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram where we post five days a week and our posts are designed to help you keep fighting. Remember, family is like life. It's a fight for territory. And once you stop fighting for what you want, what you don't want will automatically take over. 
Thanks so much for listening to Unyielding. I hope you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. If you did, could you show some love to this community of mamas by leaving a review and subscribing on um, Apple Podcasts? It makes a big difference in helping other struggling moms out there find us. Till next week, friends, remember that hope is the only thing stronger than fear.